This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to another episode of Basically. I'm your host, Stephanie Preisner, and with me in studio today is the calming dentist, Niall. For those of you who have dental anxiety, a lot of people have messaged me on Instagram about doing a podcast on this anxiety related to going to the dentist, which actually a friend of mine has and has stopped them getting any sort of dental care, which is sort of like this self-fulfilling prophecy then where you need more dental care. Niall, Based on your name from Instagram and Facebook, The Calming Dentist, this is obviously something that's quite common. Yeah, yeah, really common. Unfortunately, it can be a big deal for a lot of people out there, Stephanie. I mean, in population terms, almost half the population would be nervous or anxious about a dental visit. Mm-hmm. About 4% of the population would have full-blown dental phobia. And in Ireland, like that's... 200,000 people. So affects a lot of people. And as you say, that can end up then being associated with complete avoidance of the dentist, mm-hmm. which can then have huge repercussions on dental health, obviously. But that can then continue to spiral and can end up impacting people's day-to-day functioning and well-being and even their mental health. And where do you think it comes from? Like we know, you know, I know that there are specific phobias that are quite prevalent. For example, fear of flying, fear of sharks, fear of clowns. And I can kind of all put those down to fear of flying, plane crashes. We see them on TV. They're so rare, but they seem so common in media. Shark attacks, jaws, like it's so rare, it's never going to happen to you. And yet we're afraid of it. And then, you know, clowns, it, Stephen King, you know, there there are certain things that people are afraid of. And for me, it generally comes down to media or stories we've been told when we were children. Where do you think the dental phobia comes from? Yeah, it's a really interesting point. You, you mentioned that because it's something I mentioned when I'm speaking to other dentists and, and doing lectures on the topic. I mean, classically, it comes from having had a bad experience previously, okay. right, would be the, the typical sort of pathway of it. But it's certainly not as simple as that. And lots of different things have been shown to contribute, like genetics, even mm-hmm. like the media influence of family or friends, people's mental health, maybe a history of trauma or abuse, mm-hmm. different factors. But, you know, sometimes people think, well, why is it a big deal for people? I find going to the dentist fine. But if you strip it back to the actual scenario of a dental visit. It's not the most pleasant. Exactly. Even if it goes well. You're lying back, you know, you're in a vulnerable position. Somebody's in your personal space poking around your mouth, Mm -hmm. you know, fingers, dental instruments, there's water, can be difficult to swallow, to breathe. So it's an inherently unpleasant scenario to be Mm -hmm. in. And in society, it's become a normal thing to do to look after our dental health. But I think that's you know, when you strip it back to that, that's why it still remains to be so common whenever we've made such advancements in dentistry these days, but it's still such a big deal for a lot of people. So, yeah, I think it's 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 an important point to There's make. There's also an inherent judgment in it, right? You know, you're going to the dentist for a checkup and that can feel overwhelming sometimes. When I was a young child, if you had a dentist, like if you had a dentist, like Dr. Murphy was your dentist, people thought you had notions. It was like having a therapist now. It's yeah, like, yeah. oh, Stephanie has a dentist. <laughs> yes, you queued up and you went through the, when you were in primary school, you went to the public dentist mm-hmm. and, you know, it was like, Aria, you might need braces in 10 years, you're grand. And so because of that, I didn't see a dentist an awful lot and I have terrible teeth. I've been told by dentists that genetically I have terrible teeth. Like my mother doesn't have any teeth. She has dentures. 
because she lost all of her teeth, pregnancy, etc. And my mouth is the most expensive thing that I own. (laughs) I have so many crowns and root canals. I also had suffered with bulimia for a while and that destroyed my teeth. Mm. Like they crumbled in my head. But I feel like the lack of investment in dental care personal investment historically meant that kids in the 90s are now adults who need a lot of dental care because we just didn't care for them at all. And like in Germany, correct me if I'm wrong, but it used to be the case that you got free dental care. But if you missed one appointment annually, you got a free or maybe biannually, you got two free per year. But if you missed one of those appointments, you had to pay for every dental thing that you got done. And if you didn't miss any, any dental care you needed was for free. Because by going and staying in the system, you actually need less care. Yeah, yeah. And that's probably, you know, what drives that that lack of regular dental care when people are younger can drive that pattern of it always being bad news mm-hmm. then when they attend, you know, because they're you maybe only, only attend the when there's a problem if a tooth's broken or if they're in pain. And then the treatment tends to be a bit more um, invasive or, or, or difficult, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, it could become harder to numb when that's the case. So people will often fall into the cycle of only attending when they have problems and then it's maybe more likely to be a negative experience and which can drive that anxiety further and things can spiral from there but if we can break that cycle and get people to a point where the mouth is healthy and it is stable it's much more easy to maintain it then to keep on top of it people can come back for the regular checks and actually get the good news that everything's fine you know you just need your regular maintenance and that completely flips the psychology of it you know where people feel a lot more in control rather than it spiralling out of control Yeah I remember the first time I went to the dentist like as an adult and like came away with this like treatment plan Mm. of like we're going to have to edit every tooth in your mouth and this is when we're going to start Um, so what do you do to do you help people who have dental anxiety who are not your patients or do patients who have anxiety kind of come to you because they know that you work well with anxious patients? I, with the Instagram page and the the Cam and Dentist page on Instagram, it's been a great way of connecting and communicating with people with dental anxiety and some of those people are all over the world. world. Um, And that's been fantastic element of it and people you know would message saying that they, they get a lot of help from reading the post or if they've got a, a, an attend dental visit coming up that they get a lot of support from that and from hearing about other people's successes which is class like I mean mm-hmm. I, I, I love being able to have that sort of far reaching impact on it but my day to day bread and butter is, is looking after people with dental anxiety and phobia and aiming to I suppose just really rebuild that that trust and that confidence in, in the dentist again. That's and do you do that separate to the dental work? Like do people come to you and you won't. You don't look in their mouth for yeah, that session. Like, sometimes, yeah, yes. yeah. Sometimes, so uh, some people find it easier initially, even to have a video call, for mm-hmm. example, to just touch base because they're not in that environment where your anxious brain is kicking off with all yes. these sort of perceived threats, you know. So that's that's a nice introduction, um, a, a way to to get chat and find out how we can help them and and 
put their minds at ease a bit about coming in. Sometimes people would ask to attend practice prior to an actual dental visit where they can have a look around, you know, come into the, the reception area and maybe have a look at, at one of the rooms but not sit in the dental chair. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's all that sort of gradual exposure so that it's not overwhelming on that first day to actually come in and do everything in one go and sit in the dental chair and have a full examination and and have a, a plan mm-hmm. made and everything. So that can work well. But for the majority of people, you know, if we get the message out there that you're not going to be judged, you know, that the first visit is nice, relaxed, big benefits, getting in the door, getting the process started. Mm-hmm. Um, and that alone is is a huge step for, for those people who've maybe been building up to that for years. Usually people come in, we sit in the chair, have a chat initially about how we can help them and maybe find out a bit more about their specific fears so it can help guide us, you know, in, in um, coming up with a plan to give the best chance of success. And usually then that adrenaline rush that they're having, those fight or flight feelings will reduce a bit and they're actually comfortable enough to sit in the dental chair for us to have a look around. Now, often people would say, could you not use that pokey thing, <laughs> you know, with the probe? Uh, so often people would request that and that's fine. If that's if that's what makes a difference for them on that first day, that's that's cool. You know, we're just about finding, finding a way to make that process easier for them. We'll is never the probe do the one where you go with. and find out which is the problem tooth? The probe we would use for checking the health of the gum so we just oh, yeah, um, point you put a, place it beside between the tooth and, and the gum. There is a pointy probe that I don't tend to use because it doesn't look very friendly to, to, to people but historically it may have been used for yeah checking decay and, and the hardness or the softness of the tooth for example. Yeah. yeah. Has dentistry moved on Like when you say like you're not going to be judged, just get in the door. Is that the case? Like, what are there still these sort of like old man dentists, sorry for the stereotype, like that that exists that are like really judgy and like, oh, this isn't going to hurt at all. Because I feel like there's a gruffness around a generation of dentists that may no longer be practising. But that's kind of what people are afraid of. Yeah, I mean, certainly dentistry in general has evolved and it's all going in the right direction, you know, and people do put a lot of emphasis on making the process of dentistry more mm-hmm. more comfortable. And I think we've gotten to a point where we're very good at looking after the teeth comfortably. I suppose what uh, the point I always like to make is we have to remember about the person attached to the attached teeth to the as teeth, well, yeah. you know, and, uh, you know, putting a bit of sort of understanding and compassion to to those emotions as well. But there are a lot of fantastic dentists out there who will have that approach where where you won't be judged, you'll be congratulated for making it in the door and starting the process. And uh, like if there are people out there who are anxious and wondering, well, where do these where are these dentists based? Um you know, do your research. It's something I say, do your research. You have so many options for finding out information these days, whether it's websites or Google reviews or social media, you know. Mm-hmm. So check it out. You'll get a feel for the culture of a place. And I always suggest as well, popping an email to the dentist explaining how you feel um, and, and asking what, what they can do to help. And you can copy and paste that, send, send it to 10 all, practices, yeah. you know. And Based on the response you get back, that'll tell you a lot about that place, you know, and that communication alone could be enough to settle somebody to know, okay, I'm going to the right place here. And there's a huge safety in that, Mm -hmm. you know, because being allowed to feel safe in a dental chair is one of our, our huge goals. 
it's mad, isn't it? Because like on one side, there seems to be like a boom in cosmetic dentistry where like mm. loads of people who, they don't need to go to the dentist or going to the dentist <laughs> to get like veneers or whatever, you know, composite bonding, whatever. Mm-hmm. And then there's these cohort of people who are so terrified. Do you have like general tips for people who suffer with anxiety? Things like, you know, do your research, send an email, let the dentist know that you share on Instagram that you can share with the listeners? Yeah, um, I have a few sort of little uh, videos with tips and tools and and just words of advice on on the Instagram page for sure. I I think one that I always emphasise, and again, these days dentists are generally quite good at it, but is to arrange a stop signal for for people. You know, the loss of control, people feeling the dental chair can be overwhelming for some. So if you you know, have a chat with dentists and discuss, look, if I lift my hand, would you please stop? If you get their, their word that they'll do that straight away every single time, that's a huge source of, of mm-hmm. relief and, and ease for somebody. Yeah, I actually use a little button clicker that, that some dentists will have now as well, where um, if you're uncomfortable, if you want us to stop for any reason, you just click the button, stop what we're doing. And that can make the process easier. And yes, maybe if they're feeling a bit of discomfort, but sometimes people just want a break or catch their breath or have mm-hmm. a rinse or whatever it may be. So arranging a stop signal is is important. And having a think or having a chat with your dentist about what could make a difference to you, you know, if, if somebody's really into music, then, you know, having their favourite music on in the background can be a huge source for... Uh, uh, you know, a helpful place for your attention mm-hmm. to, to be tuning into. For some people, uh, focusing on on breathing or diaphragmatic breathing, if if they already use yoga or meditation or something, you know, reminding yourself to tap into that again can be really helpful physiologically to mm-hmm. allow yourself to feel more more at ease, more relaxed, but also as a helpful almost like a source of distraction. So um, one I'd often suggest is is counting to four on the in-breath and six on the out-breath. So if people are counting to four and six, they're not thinking, What's oh, geez, here mouth? comes Niall with a big, yeah. you know, needle or something like that, you know, so it, it can help just manage things. Just taking a quick break to tell you about our sponsor, Rockwell Financial. Rockwell Wealth Management are amazing at extracting wealth from your business in a tax-efficient way. Whether it's pensions, protection, investment, exit strategies, succession planning, anything like that, they are the ones to go to. They have a free one-to-one consultation for Basically listeners. So ring them up, tell them you listen to Basically and they will give you that offer of a free consultation. Rockwell Wealth Management, go for it. We all know neck and back pain can be so debilitating. The good news is the vast majority of spinal problems can be treated successfully by regaining movement, flexibility and strength. Whether you have an existing condition or a recent injury, Matter Private has centres of excellence for spinal care in Dublin, Cork and Limerick to provide you with comprehensive diagnosis, treatment, surgery and rehabilitation. With daily clinics in five locations, it means you can access the expert spine care that you need without having far to travel, no matter where you live. Making the right move is important. And when you have neck or back pain, you want to be treated by Ireland's leading spine experts. You want a team who can look after everything spinal from the straightforward to the most complex conditions. For everything spinal, visit matterprivate.ie to find out more. Do you get a lot of requests from people to get a general anaesthetic? Like people being so afraid that they just need to be knocked out. Yeah, yeah. Often people would come in. I would. (laughs) Um, I tend to see the more extreme side of things. So often people come in asking about a full general anaesthetic. Now there's some, sometimes there's a bit of confusion out there as to 
what's a full general anaesthetic and what's dental sedation because with intravenous sedation we can use that in a general practice setting and it's a fantastic technique like it can just make things so much easier for, for people and um, the anxiety goes but it also has this memory loss with it so although people are technically still conscious during sedation um, and we're able to maintain communication with them. They don't remember that. Mm -hmm. So often they come around at the end and they feel as though they've been knocked out. So sometimes people would report having had general anaesthetic for sedation when, okay. or for, for dental treatment when, when it was they, actually yeah, sedation. A full general anaesthetic where you're fully knocked out is only possible in the hospital setting with a full mm -hmm. anaesthetist and, and medical team around you. And in the the real extreme situations, sometimes that's what it takes to, to complete dental treatment. Um, but there are, you know, risks associated with that. There are huge costs associated with that. And it can be difficult to find access to I suppose general dentistry under general anesthesia. You'd often okay. use um, oral surgeons would, would have access to a hospital setting for removing wisdom teeth, that sort of thing, for example. But um, it, it's difficult to find maintenance of, of dental care. Um, and with, is with the general the, uh, sedation an option for everyone or is it something that you only use? Like, can someone just request that? Yeah, yeah, you could, could request it. And um, we are... We just have to do a pre-sedation assessment to see if somebody's suitable for it. What are the but, factors there? Um, more medically, um, okay. you know, uh, somebody needs to be relatively fit and well. Um, the drug that we use called midazolam, the breathing can get a little bit lazy in it. So now the vast majority of people, it's absolutely fine and it's a really, really safe technique for it. But so as part of our initial assessment, we could just we take a few baseline readings, blood pressure, height, weight, oxygen, that sort of thing, um, and have a good chat through medical history to make sure that it's it's appropriate to do it in, in a practice setting. And even if it's not, it could be an option potentially in a hospital setting as well. And then we have a lighter form of sedation called happy air, nitrous oxide as well, that you can just breathe in and out through the nose. And um, so sometimes um, if people aren't suitable for the, the stronger intravenous sedation in practice, they may be suitable for the, the inhalation Is sedation. Is that the same like air. gas and air that you have when you're in labour? It is actually, yeah. yeah and it's been more of a controlled, <laughs> um, <laughs> relaxing <laughs> technique. But yeah, it's the same stuff. Same it's great stuff, stuff actually. Great stuff. Um, and what's the recovery then with the sedation? Like do you have to be in recovery for an hour? Or, yeah, so yeah. with the IV sedation, usually it's about about an hour or so. So yeah. people usually just, just hang out at the practice as, as they're coming around, as it's wearing off. You'd need somebody with you to act as an escort on the day. You're not able to drive afterwards, work, that sort of thing. So um, somebody would go home with you and just check, make sure you're you're, you're doing well, stay with you for the day. Um, but it, it works it works really well, um, really well. People come around quite, quite quickly for it. It sounds um, amazing because I was at a practice once that I've since left because I was I have so many questions about it, but I needed sedation because I was so worked up about this procedure and they didn't have any. And instead he gave me a prescription to go next door to a pharmacist to get two diazepam. Right, yeah. And then yeah. I took the two diazepam and... That, like that, I still remember it. Okay, like I wasn't I wasn't sedated? Yeah, no, they're not. Not all dentists will offer um, sedation, IV sedation, the stronger form of sedation. There are sort of regulations and guidance and additional training requirements and mm -hmm. that sort of thing for it. It's something I would use a lot of because of uh, treatment phobia and, yeah. and anxiety. But yeah, most 
dentists would have the option of, for example, yeah, giving a prescription or a, a low dose sedative that can take the edge off it, but it's not as predictable or as as controlled as the intravenous um, sedation. The the big benefits that with the IV, you know, within a minute it's taken effect in, in the brain. So mm-hmm. you can add it little bit by bit to get the right level for each individual person to keep it safe but keep it effective. And yeah, it can be a game changer for, for some people, you yeah, know. Yeah, it sounds like it. Yeah, and particularly helpful at, at the start when people are maybe coming in where they haven't seen a dentist for 15 or 20 years and mm-hmm. they need loads of work done. And um, it, it's an efficient way of doing it because you can get a good bit done in a single visit, you know. And more often than not, once we get to the point where it's healthy and as I was saying, you know, the intervention's simpler, it's quicker, it's more comfortable, people get to the point where they don't need sedation and that's yes, that's, that's the great progress that, that you want to, to get to. Yeah. And with the sedation, does that is that like a more expensive treatment then because that's on top of things? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it it's an additional fee on top of your, your dental treatment, yeah. yeah. How do you feel about people, there seems to be a big... Um, move towards it in the last years travelling abroad for dental work um, I think it's less of a phobia thing and more of a cost efficiency yeah thing. yeah it, it tends to be for, for bigger for bigger jobs and uh, sometimes dental anxiety or phobia can drive that decision because um, it, it can be you know billed as being yeah put out or general anaesthetic um, or, or sedated or whatever it may be to have the work done and you wake up and your teeth will be gone, you'll have all your implants, that sort of thing, um, which sounds like a, a good option to somebody with phobia. You know, yeah. that's maybe the answer they're looking for and especially when it's so much lower cost-wise than over here. Um, but unfortunately, I suppose there are risks associated with that and I understand why people might consider it but if you are ever considering it uh, even stronger than ever do your research with it because I'm sure there are lots of good dentists and good practices out there but you know we tend to see the the stuff that comes back that hasn't been done well or there are horror stories and unfortunately been stories this this year where people have died you know during dental treatment as, as well so yeah it's it's a concern of, of sorts and um, sometimes the approach to dentistry in general can, can be different if the patient is living in a different country, you mm-hmm. know, like if I'm looking after somebody, I'm, I'm wanting to do everything possible to keep it simple as possible. I don't want them to be having trouble or to be coming in or, or having any any um, hassle with the treatment that we're providing. Um, but if somebody's in a different country and the patient's going back home, you know, it's it's easier to think, well, I'll just do I'll what just looks do good what, and tick the box and, and not have to worry too much if they need root canal treatments after all those crowns. And, you know, we've people come in needing multiple root canal treatments and they're sort of saying to you, oh, how come I need a root canal treatment? Sure, I had a crown done and it wasn't explained to them that all these risks and yeah. uh, knock-on effects, you know, are, are possible. Do you have any ideas about how to, I guess, protect the next generation from like people who are kids now to give them a healthy relationship with dentistry, dental hygiene, their dentist, so that we can kind of like reduce the amount of people who have this phobia? Yeah. And uh, look, the simplest thing is 
um, what you were mentioning at, at the beginning there is getting into a regular pattern of of attending the dentist. dentist. Don't worry if people think you're having notions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think it's less on so that. This is true. This is true. But yeah, it gets them used to the dental environment. Um, it allows them to see that it's it's not a threat. It's not associated with anything uncomfortable or, or any pain or discomfort. You know, they, they come in, have their teeth cleaned, get their, their stick or whatever it may be. And it, it can really begin to become associated and conditioned with the positive experience and again some some dentists and some practices are are particularly fantastic with, with kids um, and it also means that we can give that advice of how to look after your kids teeth more effectively mm-hmm. you know and the more that allows you to take control of it to reduce the treatment they'll need and helps keep it simple and just gets that real positive cycle and positive spin going sometimes even bringing a child along to your own dental visit so they, um, so they can see, okay, mum or dad have, have this done and, and that's fine. They're having their teeth cleaned. That's just part of part of normal life. And what age do you think is the earliest a child should go to the dentist for their own teeth? Yeah, it's actually, believe it or not, Stephanie's recommended for to bring a child to the first dental visit before their first birthday. What? Yeah, yeah. Now, that could be sitting on your, your knee, uh, okay. or, you know, during your own visit potentially. Um, it's, it's, that's particularly sort of developmentally to check to make sure that everything's coming through okay that there's nothing concerning in the mouth you know to have a bit of a look now the amount of look as you'll know <laughs> you yeah. can get in at that age it's, uh, it's, it's very difficult but um, the earlier the better yeah but like even if they only have like three teeth I know I know. I know. It seems. It seems. Um, often people will, will greet us with that <laughs> that response. It can seem a bit ridiculous, but even if it's once a year from from that age, they're they're just grown up they're that it's that it's part of the norm. Yeah, um, and again allows us to dispense that that sort of helpful information that's appropriate for for your child. And give a few tips maybe on looking after them and brushing them, etc. And I know you work with people who have phobias and anxiety, but I know that lots of people who have additional needs, maybe they're autistic or they have other sensory needs, that the dentist can be like a really overwhelming sensory experience. Yeah. Is sedation possible in that situation or do you work with any young people who have additional needs? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and look, as you say, the dental scenario for, for an autistic person is incredibly challenging, you know. Um yeah, the the lights, the sounds, the the, the touch, the unknowns, um, all all those factors. Uh, so yeah, look, we would have have quite a few uh, autistic people would would attend the practice, and I suppose my a- approach it's the same concept in that it's about trying to find the right path forward for that individual person and mm-hmm. what makes a difference to them, um, and often approaches that help with dental anxiety will also help autistic people as well you mm-hmm. know explaining what's coming up knowing what to expect um, having having a stop signal maybe when we're cleaning the teeth count down five four three two one stop have a break so they know when they're going to be getting a break um, and then yeah individually I have uh, for example a patient who is autistic and he loves music so he comes in with a playlist he has a list of tunes that he wants me to play crank the music up and he loves chatting through the music the whole time Um, you know I'd have another guy who wants no music total silence no silence no no smells anything like that Um, the environment another guy who loves trains so he brings in his trains magazines and he's sort of glancing at them throughout and just those sources of of comfort Um, and so yeah it's just about communicating what can make a difference for you as an individual person 
I feel like you're, I know the dentistry has come a long way, but I feel like you go to more of an effort than your common or garden dentist to make the experience. Maybe I'm wrong, but it, there is a sort of a like, okay, this is your appointment. This is what you need in and out sort of a conveyor belt approach to dentistry, which is a business at the end of the day, rather mm. than kind of being a personal service. Yeah, yeah. And look, I suppose I've been fortunate where I am in Boyne Dental in, in Navin to have been allowed to really embrace that. Like yeah. th- th- this is the area of dentistry I love. This is what I enjoy doing. So I've been allowed to develop that service and put those systems in place to to find that out and, and you know, use those additional resources and things. But there are there are lots of dentists out there who who will make a real difference to you, you know. So, um, I say don't don't be afraid to look into it, to touch base. And even if you've been seeing a dentist for ten years, they might know how you feel, or they might know mm-hmm. that certain things can make a difference to you. So, um, there's no harm in just popping them an email and and letting them know they could add that to your chart and and can introduce that. The more we know, the more we can tweak our approach. And yes, it. It might still have to be done within the confines of time to work as a as a business, but there are often things that can still be done that, that can help make a big difference. Is there anything else that you feel listeners should know? I suppose one thing just to mention with phobia, if the thought of picking up the phone and initiating that process is so overwhelming that you just feel like you can't do it, maybe considering talking to a psychologist or psychotherapist um, initially and doing a few sessions uh, can open the door to making that progress of, of getting in touch with a dentist at mm-hmm. a later stage, you know. Um, there's uh, more and more research coming out about the benefits of CBT, for example, for dental anxiety and, and phobia. So that's one route that could open the door for people and CBT therapist or psychotherapist could then potentially get in touch with the dentist and and have a bit of communication as to what we can do from our side to continue on the work that they've been doing and make things easier as well. It's um it's really sad because like anyone who's ever had a toothache will know it's just such an inescapable pain like mm. and some people are living with that all of the time because they're so afraid to attend the dentist and I guess for you it's sort of compelling and frustrating where you're like I can like we can totally make this work for you you can be resolved of this pain if yeah. if you just take the steps yeah and it shows you how powerful those fears and those phobias are whenever people can be writhing in pain at home and awake all night for for you know nights on end and still aren't able to to attend a, a dental practice for you know whenever they obviously realise that we have the the solution to to sort that that that's how how powerful and how far it can spiral. But yes, there are lots of things we can do to make that that process easier. You know, and and um, there are big advantages of getting in the door before you're in that position of mm-hmm. being painful. It's so much more controlled. It's so much easier to make progress. So yeah, I'd, I'd always urge people to find the right work. place for you and um, yeah, and, and make a make a start. My last question is on topic, but slightly off topic. Mm-hmm. Flossing. Yeah. So we have tooth floss, like the string. We mm-hmm. have those interdental brushes, which are like little brushes. Then there's the things that have a piece of string around a little bit of plastic. Yes. Yeah. Floss and then we have thing. water flossers. Yes. Do we need to floss? And if so, what is the best kind of flossing? And 
three, do we really need to floss? <laughs> Those are my questions. Okay. There are definitely benefits in flossing, okay? okay. And, and interdental cleaning or cleaning between your teeth, yeah. There is a big part of the surface of your teeth that your, tooth, your toothbrush just can't get to, no mm-hmm. matter how well you're brushing. And because of that, that's where all the bacteria, that's where the bugs are hanging out. And because of that, that's where we tend to see the effects of gum disease and, and decay in between the teeth in particular. So, yeah, now the cleaning between the teeth once a day has been shown to be enough to make a big difference. So brushing twice a day between the teeth once a day, ideally. And one of the big advantages once a day is it can become part of the routine. Mm-hmm. Now, I always say to people, that's what we aim for. If it's two, three times a week, great. Better that's a hell of a lot better than nothing, 100%. Mm-hmm. Um, and when it comes to the... Uh, you know, what's better between floss, interdental brushes, etc. To some extent, it come, could come down to your own teeth and and um, what's more effective for your teeth specifically. You could discuss that with your dentist or hygienist. But I'm also an advocate of whichever one you're more likely to do. Okay. Do that, do that. <laughs> because it's going to be more likely to be sustainable. It's going to be more realistic that you'll still be doing it in six months in a year. And if you can keep it up, that's going to be beneficial. And even getting something in there to disrupt that buildup of that ecosystem of bacteria essentially can only be helpful in reducing your, your progression of dental disease. And... Then my final question, do you think that there's any negatives with these new trends of cosmetic dentistry? So I think we've learned lessons as a profession and probably as a society for the approach of, you know, getting crowns on every tooth Mm -hmm. in your head, um, which was maybe more of a trend when I was sort of qualifying uh, 15, 20 years ago. And we see the ill effects of that, of the likes of needing root canal treatments because it's a lot of work on, on a single tooth. So that's why the likes of composite bonding has become popular because it's more conservative, right? So that's helpful because it's less destructive to the tooth, it's healthier for the tooth. I mean, any negatives, I suppose? But like, does composite bonding last? Uh, it won't. It won't last forever. You know, very So what happens when it starts does. to stop lasting? It can begin to gather a bit of stain and it can need sort of maintenance and polishing and replacement. Um, now, one of the advantages of, of bonding should be that it should be able to be replaced relatively simply without mm-hmm. um, any or, or little uh, impact on, on, the, on tooth the tooth longer term, you know. Uh, but yeah, it, it doesn't, doesn't last forever. Um, yeah, like tooth whitening, Tooth whitening can be a helpful technique in that it it allows teeth to look that bit brighter and mm-hmm. people can feel a bit more confident and happier with their smile without it damaging the teeth or making them any more difficult to clean or mm-hmm. anything like that, you know. So it when done correctly, it, it can be can be a helpful way of of going in that direction. Yeah. That's all my questions answered. Uh, if people are listening and they think, okay, I'm going to get my shit together and I'm going to go and see this dentist, where can they find you or where can they find you online? I personally work at Boyne Dental in Navan in County Meath and I'm on Instagram as The Calming Dentist on Facebook as well there and our website is boyndental.ie. Thank you so very much. And thank you for listening to another episode of Basically. I am your host, Stephanie Preisner. Our music is by Only Ruin. Our graphic design is by Kahalo Garrow. We're produced by Megan Fox and we're part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. See you next week. Basically. 
This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com. Thank <laughs> you.